Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Hey, uh, take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So I started my family series while we're doing the 21 days of prayer. And again, remind you, what time are we meeting here for prayer in the morning? 6.30. We'd love for you to join us. You're watching online. Thank you for joining us online at our Rossville campus. Uh, so glad wherever you are that you're part of the service today. And uh, maybe you're at home and you're traveling, you're coming back today. We have prayer time in the morning at 6.30, as you just heard me say a moment ago. But we're in the middle of our 21 days of prayer, and I hope you're watching those videos every day, you're, you're reading those devotions every day, as we, we're trying to just have an intensive on our families. And so I, I started a sermon series last week on the winning family, making it from start to finish. And uh, I started talking about how to get off to a good start last week. And today I want to deal with what comes after that, and I want to call it the fighting family, and, and I'll explain that in just a moment. The fighting family. When we uh, have a family that finds itself at the end of a bad situation, we can almost always make a safe conclusion. So, so when you get to the, when you see a family situation it, it, and it ends poorly, you'd almost always make a safe conclusion that it wasn't just bad at the end, it had been bad in the middle. That the end is just the culmination of the bad. The bad had been going on for a long time. It's the end that is the culmination of the bad when it's almost too late to do anything about it it's the middle where things really went south. And so if I see it in poorly, I know it had been operating poorly long before that. I don't know if you've heard of the, the, the Plum Island Pink House. It's kind of a famous landmark in Newberry, Massachusetts. And uh, the, it sits, this abandoned house sits in the middle of a salt marsh. And, and it's kind of become a local landmark. And according to the town, the house was built while a local couple was in the process of finalizing their divorce in the 1920s. As part of the agreement, the wife required her husband to build an exact replica of their family home. And he did. She just didn't stipulate where the home had to be built. So he bought land in the middle of a swamp salt marsh and he built the house exactly there. Uninhabitable land. Even the plumbing, here's how big of a salt marsh it was. Even the plumbing was installed to use salt water. Can you imagine how excited he was to deliver her the keys to her home? Honey, let me drive you where your house is as we finalize this divorce. Here's what I can tell you about that family. I don't know anything about that family. I don't know anything about that divorce. But I'm going to go out on a limb and make an assumption that it was bad before the end. Can I get an amen right there? It was bad long before the house was built. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say they probably did not communicate very well. 
as a couple. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there probably wasn't a lot of affection in the middle as a couple. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there wasn't a love in a home. I'm going to go out on a limb and say uh, family dinners were not that fun in that family. I, I can know that. How can I know that for sure? I know that for sure because if it ended that poorly, it had to be pretty poor in the, what I'll call, the middle. So hear me, it's, it's the middle you need help with today. You know, it's sad, too often the preacher is only involved in the beginning when we walk down the aisle. And in the end, when it's too late to do anything about it. Right, we're happy to get the preacher uh, uh, on board in the beginning. We feel obligated to come tell the preacher it's over, but we, we leave him out of the middle. Too often, God is not involved in our homes until we've reached the end. Too often, a, a counselor is not involved until we get to the end. Too often, help is not sought until we uh, are at the end. And the fact is, at, by the time we get to the end, by the time the house is being framed up in a salt marsh, chances are it's too late to do anything about it. We need help in the middle when things are starting to go south the middle I'm gonna call it the middle all morning long because we all go through the middle right it's in the middle that we go through difficulties it's in the middle that we go through these fights it's in the middle that we make bad mistakes it's in the middle that we have these home disasters and heartache in the home we all go through the middle so today I want to challenge you I want you to be a fighting family and you say preacher Man, I don't even need to come to the altar. We have got that down. As a matter of fact, you should have seen us on the way to church. Like we had it down today. We feel so right with God. That's that's not what I'm. That's not what I mean. What I, what I mean is that I want you to be a family that fights the enemy. I want you to be a couple, a marriage that fights to stay close and a marriage that fights to stay strong. I want you to be a parent that fights to keep your children close and to keep them following the Lord. I want you to be a teenager that fights the culture and stays true to God and stays true to the family. I don't want you to fight in your family. Hear me, I want you to fight for your family. Let's fight through the middle so we can have a fantastic ending. Now hear me, everybody has a rough patch in the middle, everybody. The preacher, rough patch in the middle. You, rough patch in the middle. Most, most godly people you know, they all have rough patches in the middle. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the very first family in the Bible, you know what you'll discover? They had a rough patch in the middle. So I want us to read about them today. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, you're following along at home. Genesis chapter 3, we'll start with verse 1, we'll, we'll skip around just a little bit, but, but look at uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden... God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, 
God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, now let's skip. Let's skip over to chapter 4 and look at chapter 4 verse 1. Let's pick up this family theme again here in chapter 4, verse 1. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, that's Adam, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. The Lord said to Cain, why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? And then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened this mouth to receive your brother's blood. You have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Thank you. You may be seated. Now there's obviously great theological implications here in these verses and in this story. You see the theology of original sin, the theology of Satan, of redemption. As a matter of fact, there's a Bible principle called the principle of first mentioned things. And so uh, when you look through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you see about every doctrine we hold to is found in some way, the principle in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And no doubt chapters three and four are covered in theological implication. And that gets all the attention and it should. But in the midst of all of that, I don't want us to overlook there's a family involved in all of that. And it's not just a family, it's a, the very first family, and it's a family that really goes through it, and their story is one that I want us to take just a moment and look closely at. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to take a few minutes, and then we're just going to talk about their story, and then I'm going to make five general principles after that. Remember I told you these aren't exactly sermons. They're more like pastoral advice. So let me, let, let me preach just for a little bit, and then let me give you some pastoral advice here at the end of it. Let me, let me tell you at least four things about this first family. Number one, I want you to know this. Their perfection faded fast. Remember, Adam and Eve here were created perfect, sinless. You you remember the story. Adam was formed from the dust of the ground. Eve was formed from the side of Adam and they were absolutely perfect. They'd never done anything wrong. We have no idea how long they lived in that arrangement, but you know, at the beginning of their marriage, Adam was perfect. Eve was perfect. They were sinless. They literally had. So by the way, if two perfect people come together in marriage, that makes it a perfect marriage. 
and they literally had a perfect marriage. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. They never, ever had an argument. There was nothing to argue about. They never said anything stupid. Never. Never. Adam never said, hey, I don't know if I'd eat that extra apple today. You know, you're putting on a few and uh, never. They'd never say anything hurtful. They'd never said anything mean. All of that would have been sin and never happened so far. Get this, they never, they had never, ever gone to bed angry at one another. Never. Because they'd never been angry with one another. He thought she could do no wrong. And guess what? He was right. She thought he was the strongest man in the world. And guess what? He was. He's the only one, but still, he was the strongest man in the world. He thought she was the prettiest woman in the world, and he was right. She was. Everything about him was perfection. And they only had eyes for each other, and they wanted to spend every waking moment together. I just recap that for you because here's what I want you to know. What I just described sounds a whole lot like you and your spouse before you got married, doesn't it? Like you thought he could do no wrong. You thought she, she was absolutely perfect. You had not said anything to hurt one another's feelings. You had not lapsed over into stupid yet. You, you thought he was the strongest guy. You thought she was the prettiest woman you'd ever laid eyes on in your life. I mean, what they were going through was exactly how you felt before you got married, while you were in that dating part, and probably up until the day you walked down the aisle and you said, I do. And for weeks after that and months after that, you were living in those perfect days remember when everything was perfect that's at the beginning and then came the middle and for Adam and Eve the perfection went away you you had a beginning and a middle too right in your marriage and your home remember when you first married your husband that that you thought he could do no wrong? Remember when you first married your wife? You thought every meal she cooked was the best thing you'd ever eaten in your life? You went to McDonald's and found out they were so much better than what you were eating at home, but still you thought it was great back then? Remember when you first had kids? Oh, man, I love new parents. I love the ignorance of new parents. I do. I love it. I love it. We're all there. Remember when you, had new, you, you first had your kids and you thought yours were perfect and they were never going to do anything wrong? Remember when you had a four-week-old, four one-month-old, two-month-old kid at home, your first child? You remember that? You'd look at a parent wrestling a two-year-old in a grocery store and you'd be how sad. If they were better parents. If their kids were as good as mine, my little junior, he's never going to do that. Uh, just give little Junior about two years, and he'll be pulling down the displays at, at, at uh, Publix, too. Like you, but you remember those early days when your kids were perfect, and they were never going to do anything wrong. That was in the beginning, but then the middle happened to the first family, and hear me. When we start our families, perfection has a way of fading fast. The shine has a way of wearing off quickly. 
And it usually is caused by the second thing I want to point out about the first family, and that is they had a crisis that caused conflict. Now, you know what happened with Adam and Eve, right? You know the story that they sinned. We just read it. Eve ate the fruit, and she gave it to Adam, and Adam ate the fruit, and they were cast in the sin. And they, they cast themselves and all of humanity into ruin, and Adam and Eve lost their relationship, that intimate relationship with God. And for the first time, God and man were separated from one another by sin, and God had to come along and offer a sacrifice in order to, to restore the relationship. But it was never what it was before, because that conflict that had been caused by their sin, that, that, that crisis caused by that conflict had just not just ruined the relationship but it forever altered it and for the first time they had this conflict in their marriage now the bible doesn't explicitly explicitly say they had conflict but i know for a fact they did i know for a fact that adam and eve's first fight was in genesis chapter 3 even though it doesn't say it i know for a fact you say well how would you know they had their first fight in chapter 3 because you remember chapter 3 god comes down and God's taking an account. We're having judgment time here w- with Adam and Eve. And God's like, what, what, were you, what were you thinking, Adam? What were you thinking, Adam? You knew if you ate of that tree, you'd cast humanity into death and despair. What were you thinking, Adam? And Adam just mustered up all the manhood within him. And here's what he said to God. The woman you gave to be with me She gave me, Lord. She did it. She gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Lord, just let me remind you, God, I want to reemphasize. The woman, she gave me. Lord, the woman, that's all I want to say is the woman. She's over there, God. You say, uh, what makes you think that was their first fight? If you don't think that caused conflict, you aren't paying attention. Eve let it go. Can you imagine when God left them there, like walked away when God was gone? Can you imagine what Eve, can you imagine the first time in his life, Eve cut Adam in half with her eyeballs, you know, like, I will murder you. I'm not even sure what murder is, but I will murder you in a minute. In the midst of first major crisis, Adam just threw Eve under the bus. Can I tell you this? That wouldn't have happened in the beginning. In Genesis 3-1, that would not have happened because everything was serpent, uh, uh, perfect. Adam would have fought a lion and a bear in the beginning, but this is middle stuff. And crises happen in the middle. Remember in your family, you were going along just fine in, in your honeymoon stage. And then all of a sudden in your family, a a crisis happened, conflict happened, a fight, an argument, financial trouble breaks out, health trouble comes along your way, in-law trouble, just sheer stupidity that happens between a husband and a wife. In the midst of that high tension, crisis time, conflict arises easily in the middle and you do things that you that you wouldn't do otherwise and you say things that you wouldn't say otherwise and you justify things that you would not justify otherwise and the middle happens and all of a sudden in the middle you've got all of this conflict going on well it got worse we're we're still in the middle we're in the middle Uh, number three we see this disappointment developed division 
So now you got mom and dad, they're not perfect anymore. And the Bible tells in, in, in chapter four, they start having kids. Now when, when let, 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 me, let, me, let, me, let me do some biology with you, all right? When a dog boy and a dog girl get together and have a child, what is that child called? A, a dog, right? A puppy, a dog, right? If a cat man and a cat girl get together and have offspring, what's it called? A cat, right, kitten. If a sinner man and a sinner woman get together and have a child, what is the child now? A sinner. A sinner. And so now they're parents, and they have two beautiful boys, but the boys are sinners. And that's forever that way because of their sin. Now, now get this, Cain and Abel aren't perfect, but they're probably close to perfect. Yet they're going different paths. One of those boys, Abel, has a humble heart for God. Listens to the word of God, does what God says, obeys God, and humbly walks with God. The other boy, Cain, has some pride and is doing things his way. Despite the way his parents have raised him, he insists on doing the opposite and making his own mistakes. Cain brings to the Lord an unacceptable, prideful sacrifice to the Lord. And he kind of throws it in the Lord's face. Cain, Cain's kind of like, the Lord has given instructions on what a sacrifice is supposed to be. And Cain brings a sacrifice and kind of throws it in the Lord's face. And he's like, I don't care what you want. Here's what I'm going to do. And what Cain did was brought the labor of his hands. Cain, in effect, was trying to work for his salvation. Abel brought a sacrifice of the flock that would not have his own hands. And the Lord doesn't accept Cain's, but he accepts Abel's. And by the way, you, if you've raised your kids, you, you've probably had at least one with that kind of attitude in the home. Every 13-year-old develops that kind of attitude. I'm going to do things my way no matter how much it hurts. And immediately, jealousy and division and hatred and strife develop in the family, and it affects the kids and the parents. And their dream of a perfect house, what they thought they would be as a family, is shattered, and all of a sudden, Thanksgiving's not as fun as it was the year before. And Christmas is not as fun as it was the year before, and get-togethers are not as fun. As a matter of fact, Cain's not even coming to all of them because there's this division that happens in the family, and it happens in the middle. Hear me. It happens to us as well. You look at your marriage, and when it first starts, you think to yourself, nothing could ever come between us, and then the middle happens. You look at your little kids when they're newborns, and you, you, say, you don't say it out loud, but you think it. You think... I actually do have the perfect family. My kids are never going to do anything wrong. And then the middle happens. And you look around and your perfect family is in division. Well, number four, that led to this in that first family. And an unthinkable decision left an indelible, left indelible damage. If you don't know the story, Cain murdered Abel. Cain murdered Abel. How the world did we get here? We got here in the middle. 
Some of you, that has happened with your marriage. You, you went from uh, the perfection fading, a conflict in the marriage, to disappointment and division, and then an unthinkable decision left indelible damage in your marriage. Some of you happened with your children. Some of you happened with your grandkids. So here's what I want you to get. Here's where you find yourself in the middle. You find yourself in the middle with perfection gone in your family, with conflict on the rise in your family, with division in your family, with damage done to your ha- family. And if it happened to the first family, it can happen to you and it can happen to me. So how do we fight our way out of the middle and get to a glorious ending? So here's where I'm just leaving preaching. And I want to give you some words of pastoral advice this morning that I really want you to take to heart. All right, let me skip through the Bible. Let me give you five words of pastoral advice on how to survive the middle. Number one is this, don't ignore the reality of your situation. The Bible says in Proverbs 18.2, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinion. A fool does not delight in understanding. Here's what the Bible says. A foolish person does not want to understand the situation they're in. They're only more interested in stating their opinions. And too many times, that's what happens in our families. We don't care to understand how bad things really are. We don't want to understand the damage we're causing in our relationship. We only want to get our ways. That's this opinion he's talking about right here. So we're only wanting to get our ways and what we want. And the damage we are causing in the relationship, we don't care about it. And the traits in our children that aren't cute. It's going to have long-term repercussions when they're teenagers and adults and beyond. We don't want to understand the coldness in our marriage isn't normal and it's unhealthy. And because of the tension in our home, we don't, we don't have the, uh, uh, because of the tension in, in our home, it's as if we don't have the emotional capital to do an accurate assessment of where our marriage really is. It's like we don't have the emotional capital to deal with it. And so we keep ignoring it, and all the tension keeps building until it'll all explode one day. And here's what we go. In a marriage, we go from, we go from being husband and wife lovers in every capacity of the word to husband and wife siblings. And we still, you can get along okay as a sibling, but... It's not the same as it was in the beginning, and we ignore the reality of where we are. If we keep ignoring it, we're going to find ourselves going down a path we don't want to go down. All men are famous for one thing. Does anybody know what that one thing really is? All men. All men won't do one thing. Do you know the one thing no man will do? We won't ask for directions. No man. Real men will never ask for directions. You know why men never ask for directions? We're never lost. That's why. We don't need GPS and all that. We know exactly where we're going. And you know why? Here's what happens with men. We are wandering around circles. Look at this study. According to a British study, men drive an extra 276 miles a year. Because they refuse to ask for directions. 
Man, we drive almost, and that's, by the way, that's a British study in Britain, which is a small footprint of where we are in America. There's no telling in America, but let's just say the average man will drive an extra 300 miles a year because we won't ask for directions. You know why we're, we ignore the reality of our situation. Because we're never lost, right? Right? Even if we're going the wrong way, all we're doing is taking the scenic route. Come on, that's just what we do. Anybody can go the highway. I want to take you on some back roads to show you how to get there and how pretty it is. Look at that. Look, look at that chicken farm right there. Have you ever seen anything as pretty as that? And if a man's really, really lost and the wife knows it, the best thing is to do is, okay, okay, you just tell me what direction you would go. I'll just do whatever you want to do. And your wife be like, no, do it. No, no, I really want you to tell me. Which direction would you go? Like, really, tell me. Which direction would you go? Because I don't know. But we'll drive 300 extra miles, ignoring the reality of our situation. Hear me. We do the same thing with our families, and it causes more problems than it is worth. Hear me, if your marriage is having issues, own up to it. If, you're, if your children are having issues, own up to it. If your home is a mess, own up to it. If your home just needs a tune-up, own up to it. So many families do not survive the middle because they're having issues and no one would acknowledge the reality of the issues they were facing. Number two, don't ignore the reality. Number two, can I just say this? Get help. Proverbs says this, Without guidance, a people will fall, but with many counselors, there is deliverance. The Bible is clear. We all need guidance. Everybody needs guidance. Everybody needs counselors. Now, I know this passage, hear me, isn't talking about the way we might be talking about a counselor in this context, but that doesn't rule out how we might talk about a counselor, because once you've acknowledged the situation and your family needs help, getting out of the situation becomes paramount. And sometimes when you're in the family, you can't see the forest for trees. Can I tell you this? You know what a drowning man has never done? Rescued himself. If he can rescue himself, he wasn't drowning. A drowning man can't rescue himself. Sometimes in your family, when it's drowning, you cannot rescue it. You need to acknowledge the middle is rough and we may need some help. You, you know what that may mean? It may be as simple as you and your wife reading some books on marriage. Some good godly Christian books on marriage. It may be as simple as you and your uh, uh, wife reading some uh, good godly Christian books on parenting. It may mean you need to take a class. It may need, mean, listen, you may need to seek out a godly mentor. Look around when somebody says they've been married 50 years and 60 years. It might be somebody you want to carry to lunch and, and pick their brain a little bit. It may mean you need help from a counselor, even if it's just a tune-up. It may mean you need to buy a, a Christian video series off Amazon or Lifeway. Listen, if you do not treat the problem, it will not get better. If you went to the doctor and he said, man, I'm sorry, you have got a terrible disease. But we can treat it over time. You'll get better. How many people would be dumb enough to say, you know what, Doc, let's just not treat it. Let's just leave it and let's just hope it gets better on its own. 
You'd never do that with your health, but, but we do it with our family. Number two, get help. Number three, I'm moving fast, fight for your family. Galatians 6, 9, it's not a parenting verse or a marriage verse, but it fits. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we'll reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Hear me, don't grow tired of fighting for your family. Too many times I see people give up in their family. They give up in spirit. They just lose the emotional energy to fight for it. They give up in it physically, and they lose the physical in the, uh, to fight for it. Do not give up on fighting for your family. Your family did not get in the middle overnight, and it won't get out of the middle overnight. It will not be a linear process where it's always getting better. All you want is an upward-trending process of good. Can I tell you the truth? You'll have good days and bads. You'll take two steps forward and one step back. And all of that, fight, fight, fight. Do not give up. You say, preacher, it is exhausting. It is exhausting. But can I remind you of a Bible verse? Here's what 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says. Love never ends. Look at me. Can we say that together? Love never ends. Say it louder. Love never ends. Can I ask you a question? When does love end? So why do we let it? Fight for your family. Point number four, fix yourself first. I dealt with this last week, but let me mention it again. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. I don't know if there's a more apropos verse for a marriage than this. When our family's in the middle, we generally want to get everyone else fixed, right? If my husband would, if my wife would, if my kids would, if my parents would. When the real question is, is really, if only I would. If you're going to make it through the middle, you've got to work on you. Why don't you get the beam of wood out of your own eye before you try to take the splinter out of somebody else's eye? What is it you need to be better at your marriage? What is it you need to do to be a better parent or a better teenager or whatever it may be? In her, in her new book, I'm going to read this, in her, in her new book called Insights, an organizational psychologist named Tasha Urich tackles a topic that many people think we've mastered. It's called self-awareness. In her studies, she learned that a lot of people think they are self-aware. Now, how many people do you think, what percentage of people do you think they believe they are self-aware? Well, she found out through research, 95% of people believe that they personally are self-aware. But in her study, she found that that was an overestimation. No joke. Do you know how many people through her research she found out were actually self-aware? 10 to 15%. 10 to 15%. We have a hard time even knowing a beam of wood is in our own eye. Maybe you need to ask a close family member. Sometimes my wife and I will sit down and, 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 and we'll say to each other, we have these conversations. What could I personally do to be a better husband? What could I personally do to be a better wife? We ask ourselves those questions and give each other permission to be honest. Maybe you need to spend some time in the word and prayer 
And ask the Holy Spirit to get to work on you. Fix yourself first. Number five, I'm, I'm finished. Number five, keep quiet and trust God. Proverbs 12 says, there's one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. When you're in the middle having family issues, you tend to want to tell someone about it. But here's the issue. Close your Bibles. I'm, I'm finished. I want you to hear me here. This may have done more damage to homes than anything I've seen because we, we tend to want to tell people about our situation. And by the way, we never tell them the truth. We always tell them a one-sided story, right? We tell them things that should not be told. And we rarely tear someone, tell someone who can help, what do we do? We don't get help, like I said in point three. So we don't go tell people that can help. Do you know what we do? We tell people who agree with us. We tell people who will take our side. And I've seen it do more damage in families by somebody that just went out and started telling everybody their side of the story. You say, well, preacher, who am I supposed to talk to? Number, number, I'm going to talk to somebody who can actually help. Or number two, if we spend as much time talking to God about our problem as we did others, it revolutionized our marriage. My wife and I have made it a solemn promise to one another. We never say a bad word about the other one to anybody. She doesn't call her mama and tell her mama what I did. I don't call whoever. I don't tell them. We don't do that. We talk to God and we talk to one another and that's it. Because I want to keep quiet and trust God to get me through it. Are you in the middle? Stand with me. Valentine's Day is coming up. I mean, if you didn't know, Valentine's Day is a few days from now. About a year or so ago, a man in China had broken up with his girlfriend. He was just mad about it. Uh, he's not just mad about breaking up with her. He's just mad at relationships in general. So he he only identified himself by the online nickname Up, UP. The Shanghai Morning Post called him a computer nerd, but he had just broken up with his girlfriend and he didn't want to go to the movies on Friday night and have to sit and watch all these lovebirds at the movies while he was alone. So he went online, raised money, and in the local movie theater, he bought every other seat in the movie theater. In every seat, so no couple could sit together in the movie theater. You could get tickets to the movies, but you had to sit one seat apart. And he gave all these tickets out to single people. And I saw that story and I thought, 
you know, that's what happens to our families a lot. We get one seat apart from each other. So don't ignore the reality. Get help. Fight for your family. Work on yourself and trust God. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? You may be here today and no doubt your family's in the middle. You're more fighting in your family than you are for it. You're having trouble in your marriage. You're having trouble with your kids. Your parents are having, teenagers are having trouble with their parents. However you want to name it, you're just in the middle. You're in the middle. The perfection is faded. How many of you this morning would be honest enough and say, you know what, preacher, I just want to get it off my chest. We're having middle problems in our family. If that's you, just slip your hand up and let God see it. I'm going to pray for you in a minute, and I want to see who to pray for. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you know Jesus, he's on your side. If you don't know Jesus, you need to find him today. Our staff, our pastors are down here at these Next Step stations. They'd love to pray with you, introduce you to Jesus today. Maybe, maybe you want to uh, join our church. Maybe you need to be baptized. We'll be baptizing here in just a week or so. Now would be a great time to get in on that. During this invitation, as Josh sings, you just come down and talk to them. But maybe, maybe as a husband, maybe as a wife, maybe as a couple, maybe as parents, maybe as grandparents this morning. You want to find your way to this altar and just pray through some middle stuff. And ask God to work in your life. If you're watching online, Jeremy's got a word for you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that message. And man, you need to know this. Your family, they're worth fighting for. Your kids are worth fighting for. Um, your marriage is worth fighting for. And we've got to invest the time and energy um, making sure our family stays together and being willing to fight for our family. And um, it's so important that as dads, as moms, as children, we're willing to fight culture and all the trends and things that are going on around us. But here's what I know. You are incapable on your own of fighting for your family. Without the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can't do it by yourself. And so, um, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, it's as simple as you understanding that you're a sinner and your sin separates you from God. And um, being willing to admit that. Believing that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried dead in the tomb, and on the third day he rose again. You've got to believe that with all your heart. And then you confess him as your personal Lord and Savior. And if God has spoken to your heart and you realize, I need Jesus, I can't, I, my, my family will not last without the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And if God's spoken to your heart and you realize that this morning, tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And Lord, right now, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time this morning, we want to connect with you. And so 
Um, we want to send you some information that's going to help you take your um, next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. And so if you would um, text I did to the number 97,000, that's I-D-I-D to the number 97,000. We're going to connect with you. We're going to send you some information in the mail. And I personally uh, want to uh, contact you and help you take next steps on your journey with Jesus. Man, it's been good to be together this morning. I've enjoyed our time together. Uh, God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.